You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. CryptoCore campaign that looted cryptocurrency exchanges is said to have been the work of North Korea's Lazarus Group. Insurers are taking a hard look at ransomware and the cyber insurance policies that might cover it. Managing ransomware risk and a role for standards bodies. Can there be such a thing as responsible disclosure of decryptors and other remediation tools? Ransomware gangs regroup. Harry Carpenter previews the new 8th Layer Insights podcast. Rick Howard speaks with authors Doug Barth and Evan Gilman. And it's time served, plus deportation in the case of an unsuccessful hacker. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Fittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, May 25th, 2021. Clear Sky yesterday reported its conclusions that the crypto core campaign, which hit altcoin exchanges in Japan, Israel, Europe, and the U.S., was run by North Korea's Lazarus Group, known for state-directed financial crime. The crypto core operation began in 2018 and is thought to have been responsible for at least five attacks on cryptocurrency exchanges. The campaign's total take over its career is believed to have been somewhere north of $200 million dollars. When CryptoCore first surfaced, it was attributed to a criminal gang thought to be operating from Eastern Europe or perhaps Russia. But F-Secure published some evidence suggestive of a Pyongyang connection, and ClearSky has taken a deeper look and now attributes the campaign with medium to high confidence to the DPRK's Lazarus Group. CryptoCore has gone by more than one name. ClearSky lists three others, CryptoMimic, Dangerous Password, and Our favorite around the office, Leary Turtle. Whatever the name, it's the same unwelcome product. Dark Reading says that insurance firms are growing increasingly skittish about underwriting the risk of ransomware and seem to be moving away from providing the sort of coverage that might encourage or permit ransomware payments. Bank Info Security points to trending evidence that suggests both more limited coverage and higher premiums. The underwriters aren't, as far as anyone can tell, misreading the risk. Ransomware attacks continue, with audio system manufacturer Bose disclosing to authorities that it had suffered an incident it first detected in March. 
The record says the company's statements haven't indicated whether it paid the ransom. Recovery has sometimes proven protracted, even after an attack has been detected and contained. The San Diego Union-Tribune reports that Scripps Health, which was hit on May 1st, is still in the process of remediation but hopes to be back to normal operations by the end of the week. And the city of Tulsa, Oklahoma, which on May 10th disclosed the attack it sustained, preventively shut down many city systems to contain the infestation and prevent data loss. They also hope, according to Security Week, to have recovered by week's end. Colonial Pipeline's experience with Darkside ransomware has other sectors looking at their own defenses. FreightWave sees a similar attack against the trucking industry as likely but also preventable. What then should infrastructure operators consider in the way of risk assessment going forward? Vikas Bhatia, CEO and co-founder of Just Protect, wrote us to point out that one of the lessons to be drawn from Colonial Pipeline's experience is that regular risk assessments should focus on an organization's specific vulnerabilities and the compliance regime it operates under. Quote, Organizations such as the North American Electricity Council, NERC, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, the American Petroleum Institute, API, provide standards that critical infrastructure providers and their customers can use to assess the organization's ability to manage the threat end-to-end. Critical infrastructure and regulated organizations should evaluate how often and to what detail internal or third-party assessments are performed. Rarely do organizations assess the risks of the threat landscape in as much detail or at the frequency required to identify or manage the risks. End quote. So, aim at increased and timely visibility and take advantage of the resources government, industry, and standards bodies can provide. Many standards organizations are private as opposed to governmental, but their work can be and often is widely adopted. Governments certainly establish important regulatory regimes, but it's worth noting the role that the private sector has historically played in this regard. The insurance industry, in particular, has had a lot to do with establishing standards. Had the actuaries and underwriters not gotten involved with fire prevention and personal safety, to take one example, it's unlikely that fire safety codes in the U.S., at least, would have evolved as they have. MIT Technology Review early this week complained about the way in which security firms who provide free decryptors make their tools publicly available, and particularly exoriated Bitdefender's release of a dark side decryptor earlier this year, saying that the gang benefited from the announcement to fix issues in their code. As we pointed out yesterday, that seems strong. After all, a gang might realize that something was wrong when its victims appeared able to return to normal without paying for decryption. And while a free decryptor might well make it easier for a gang to find and fix problems with their malware, the Washington Post reports that Bitdefender has said, with arguable justice, that publishing a decryptor enabled them to help a lot more victims a lot faster than a more discreet, more selective disclosure would have permitted. The Wall Street Journal observes that ransomware gangs appear to be scuttling away from recent light on their activities, scrutiny and scorn, as the journal puts it, but they've remained active and probably are simply regrouping, not exiting, still less reforming. It's a kind of unenlightened coarse self-interest. If the gangs hit a target that attracts a lot of attention from the police, that's no good. It's not the reputational risk that concerns them, but rather tugging on Superman's cape, 
tickling the sleeping dragons of law enforcement. It would be unwise to accept the avowals of the likes of the dark side when they say they're determined to avoid social damage. That's what they say when they're caught clobbering a hospital or doing something else that will really motivate the authorities to bring the hammer down. So this is a temporary pause at best, and the gangs are unlikely to cease and desist this side of the slammer. And finally, remember that guy who copped a plea in Nevada to federal charges related to his unsuccessful attempts to bribe a Tesla employee with half a million bucks to install malware on Mr. Musk's battery factory's computers? The AP reports that yesterday U.S. District Judge Miranda Du passed sentence on him. She gave Yegor Igorich Kriyuchkov 10 months. Since he's already been in custody for nine months and that detention counts, the sentence amounts to time served. He'll be deported back to Russia soon. Judge Du said she took into account both Mr. Kriuchkov's plea agreement with the U.S. attorney and the fact that, after all, his attempt to hack the Reno-area battery plant failed. The attack was supposed to be a two-stage attack. Denial of service as misdirection for the second-stage installation of malware designed to exfiltrate sensitive information. I'm sorry for my decision. I regret it, Mr. Kriuchkov said, adding that his time at Club Fed had given him an opportunity to reflect on the damage he'd done to his reputation and the pain he'd caused his family. It's worth noting that U.S. authorities have not alleged the Russian government had anything to do with Mr. Kriuchkov's crime. He seems to have been just a crook on the lookout for the main chance. Happy trails. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business.
Throughout this week, we're featuring Rick Howard's exclusive interviews with renowned authors of cybersecurity books, books so good they've been inducted into the cybersecurity canon. Here's Rick. It's Cybersecurity Canon Week here at the CyberWire, and unofficially, all the CyberWire staff members are referring to this week as Shark Week for cybersecurity books because the Cybersecurity Canon Project has announced the author selectees for the Hall of Fame Awards for 2021, and I'm interviewing all the winning authors. Each day this week, you will get a taste of the winning author interviews here in this daily podcast segment. But you can listen to the entire long-form interviews as special episodes in my CSO Perspectives podcast, only available to the CyberWire Pro subscribers. Today's interview is with Doug Barth and Evan Gilman, the authors of Zero Trust Networks, Building Secure Systems in Untrusted Networks. I started out by asking Doug, why did he feel compelled to write this book? I guess I'll start since I'm the troublemaker that incited all this crazy stuff. Um, It was actually after a conference talk I gave wherein one of the questions at the end was, where can I go to read more about this? And I was like, well, I don't know. (laughs) I don't think there's anything out there, really. It's... I mean, I've looked, I haven't found anything, come talk to me afterwards. And I felt passionate about the topic and I felt that, um, you know, it was important and that nobody else is talking about it. You know, people should at least be considering it. A lot of people had written about these types of problems, but nobody had really written about them all being kind of related to each other and this bigger picture, zero trust type thing. There, There was some prior art, but... It wasn't like super duper cohesive and and certainly it wasn't laid out like, okay, if I wanted to do this exactly, what are the things I should be thinking about and how could I accomplish it? I asked Doug about how Evan convinced him to join this book writing journey. I think I, my, my exact comment to him was, oh, the book people came by your talk. I understand. Um, <laughs> I like working with Evan. Evan's super smart. Like he mentioned, we had only scratched the surface of the the topic because we were building for a startup's needs and like solving problems as they came to us. I thought it would be interesting to continue the thought exercise of, well, if we're going to build systems here under this assumption that our networks are untrustworthy, how would we continue to design and iterate on that architecture? That was what basically the what year and a half that we spent like researching yeah. and digging into it, um, just yeah. trying to like figure out what would our answer be if we had to deal with this problem. What would our answer be if we had to deal with that problem? And and trying to educate ourselves on what the broader industry was thinking here, so we weren't just like making it up in a vacuum. The book is called Zero Trust Networks: Building Secure Systems in Untrusted Networks. The authors are Doug Barth and Evan Gilman, and they are the newest additions to the Cybersecurity Canon Hall of Fame. And if you are interested in the collection of Cybersecurity Canon Hall of Fame books, plus all the candidate books and even the best novels with a cybersecurity theme, check out the Cybersecurity Canon website sponsored by Ohio State University at icdt.osu.edu slash cybercanon, all one word. And with one N for canon of literature, not two Ns for machines that blow things up. And if that's all too hard, go to your preferred search engine and type Cybersecurity Canon and Ohio State University. And congratulations to Doug Barth and Evan Gilman for their induction into the Cybersecurity Canon Hall of Fame. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, 
Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me today is Perry Carpenter. I've spoken to him many times before as the Chief Evangelist and Strategy Officer at Know Before. He's also a well-known published author. Uh, But today, Perry, we are talking about something different. Uh, You have a new podcast coming out. Yeah, I do. It's called Eighth Layer Insights, and it's really all about the, the psychology and the behavior behind why we think the things that we think and why we do the things that we do. And I, I try to relate that to security, but I also broaden it out into um, the, the general areas of life as well. What prompted you to uh, dip your toe into the uh, podcasting forum here? Yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, it really came about by loving some, some really great uh, podcasts out there like uh, Freakonomics and Radiolab and Planet Money and, and others, this narrative nonfiction style. And there's not been a lot of representation of that in the cybersecurity field yet. I think that there have been a few really good examples like that, um, but catering to a slightly different audience. Um, something like uh, the Darknet Diaries podcast, I think, is a standout McAfee's hackable podcast that's been uh, discontinued uh, recently is another standout. Um, but they're really still even catering to a slightly different audience than what I was hoping for. And really just because it didn't emerge on its own, I tried to uh, go ahead and create the thing that I was looking for and then uh, see where it goes. And who is the audience that you're targeting here? It's um Primarily, I'd say that the core set is cybersecurity professionals that are interested in influencing behavior. So CISOs, uh, security managers, and security practitioners that are trying to help people make better decisions. Um, But then also because any study on human psychology and human behavior is a study about ourselves, uh, I'm trying to keep this general enough that it can also have a fuzzy edge to where if you're interested in it, this is something that you could share with your family and they would enjoy hopefully just as much. Yeah, it strikes me that one of the the things that we fall into in cybersecurity is is by its nature, the technical nature of it, the ones and zeros. Uh, you know, th- we, we fall into a bit of absolutes. Um, and that uh, means that sometimes that human side gets underemphasized or undervalued. Uh, it's interesting to me that part of what you're doing here is shining a light on the importance of that side of things. Yeah, uh, absolutely. One of the things that um, comes out when you study the data about our industry, the cybersecurity industry, is that we have an overfixation on the technology side of things. And so we talk about, you know, if, if you're in the, the security field, you've heard of this thing called the OSI security model. It talks about seven different layers of security, starting at the data and ending at the application. And 
that's what we really focus on the security pieces for is building that technical defense across those seven layers. Um, but when we look at the breaches uh, and and a lot of the the hacks out there, they're focusing not necessarily on those seven layers, but they're using an eighth layer to get in. And so uh, I, I really want to bring a spotlight to this human side of things because it has been underemphasized for decades. And and uh, luckily, we are now starting to see more of an of an understanding of the fact that this human piece will never go away, that the technology piece will never be a hundred percent effective, and that to underemphasize the human is to be uh, not as effective in our security and risk management as we could be. Can you give us a, a preview of what we might expect to hear in the first episode? Yeah, there's um, the the first episode really comes out of my book, uh, Transformational Security Awareness, where I talk about this concept of Trojan horses for the mind. So the idea that there are messages and there's information that we want to get to people, but we're in a very noisy world. The, the signal-to-noise ratio does not favor us as security practitioners trying to get information to people. And so what we need is a Trojan horse. And this gets into the use of emotion, sound, visuals, and then words and story in order to contain that message, move past a lot of our mental defenses, and then embed that message within somebody's mind. And then over the the course of the series, we're going to be tackling a a lot of other even non-security awareness-related things like disinformation, conspiracy theories, um, behavior change, behavior design, uh, psychology, social engineering, and so on. You've got an impressive list of guests lined up for this show. Uh, who are we going to hear from? Um, there are too many to list in a format like this, but uh, <laughs> uh, needless to say, since I'm taking that narrative nonfiction type of route within one episode, you're going to hear multiple voices um, the vast majority of the time. So I don't want to box myself in too much, but the vast majority of time, you'll hear two or three different experts per episode. And we've... Uh, Episodes that are already in the bag, we've got folks like Bruce Schneier, Chris Hadnacki, um, we've got Kevin Mitnick lined up, uh, Rachel Toback, um, BJ Fogg, uh, Matt Waller. So BJ and Matt are both uh, behavior scientists that are fairly well known, um, and many, many more. And so that's really the kind of the gist here is that we want to start with security and then move increasingly outward into all these other professions and disciplines that should be listened to uh, by our industry. Well, I've had uh, the pleasure of uh, listening to a preview of the first episode, and I have to say uh, I enjoyed it very much. Highly recommend it. Uh, The title of the show is Eighth Layer Insights. It is part of the CyberWire Podcast Network. You can find it on our website and also wherever you get your podcasts. Harry Carpenter, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. 
Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.